Good morning, everyone. Glad that you are here, but more importantly, that the Holy Spirit is here and he's busy working. Uh, you know, this last year of ministry, I've seen more people physically healed than my entire ministry together uh, all the years. Um, yesterday, we prayed for a guy out in the parking lot, sinusitis, headaches, everything healed right on the spot. He looked really surprised. He started breathing differently, his face changed, his demeanor changed, his color in his face changed, and he's healed right there in our parking lot. We uh, prayed for quite a number of people uh, in first service, and, and they were healed, so God is on the move, and that's fun. Um, is there anyone in the room that has um, either arthritis, tendonitis in your elbow, particularly the right elbow, but it could be either one? Is that you? Okay, we have one right back there. We have two. Could you just stand up right where you are? Would you stand up? This is for elbows, whether it be arthritis or tendonitis. Would you just keep standing so we know you just stay right there? Is there anyone who um, has either, uh, for a variety of reasons, and I won't give the reasons, but uh, has glandular problems and has trouble producing saliva? Anything like that? Glandular problems producing saliva? Anyone that that fits in the room? Okay. Um, circulatory problems, anyone having circulation problems, um, blood circulation problems, anyone like that in the room? So just lift up your hand. Does that fit for anybody? Okay, let's start with the people who are standing. So see the people are standing. Guys, would you go up to a guy? Ladies, would you go up to a lady? So we have several of them around the room. So if you're right around them, let's get around them. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the master healer, that you are the creator. And as you love your creation and those that you create, you desire to make all things new. You desire to restore. And we ask that you would do that right now in Jesus' name. We rebuke any tendonitis, any arthritis in Jesus' name. We rebuke any inflammation. We rebuke any um, limits to range of motion and ask that you would bring your, your healing word right now, your healing touch on these people right now in Jesus' name. Come. Come, Lord God, come and touch them in your mighty power right now in, in Jesus' name. So I want you to go ahead, if you're with those people, go ahead and take a moment and pray for them. Just quietly pray for them. Lord, come. Ask them how they're feeling. Ask them what's going on with them. What is the Lord doing with them? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes? If you feel like the Lord did something with you, just raise your hand where you are. Is the Lord doing something with you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. We bless, we bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord, that you still do today what you did 2,000 years ago, that you're a God who desires that we be whole in every sense of the word, and we bless you, and we bless you. 
And Lord, the things that you want to do later in the service, I pray that you would bring that to us, that you would show us what you want to do, that we would be available to cooperate with what your spirit is doing. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for praying. We bless what he's doing. We bless what he's doing. Hey, you know, last Saturday, uh, a whole group of us gathered right here in this room to celebrate prime timers. We ate well together. We had incredible decorations by Christy Jordan. We had newcomers in our midst, but we got together and celebrated. This is our, our 60 plus ministry where we had uh, great food and we celebrated the, the calling about the seasons of life. Um, and this particular season that we're in is 60 plusers. And we also had a little competition uh, that uh, produced some very interesting interactions. I saw some people who aren't great losers at things and people who a little competitive spirit kind of uh, brewed in the room in the midst of some of these uh, things that we did. Uh, and we weren't even handing out cash. Caleb Quay was our, our featured speaker, did a great job. And um, they're all participating in the, uh, the Bible quiz that, that we did in the games uh, that, that we, are, we are playing. It was a great time. But one of the things that I discovered along the way, a number of people have said, a number of people in their 50s have said that they felt left out. And much to my surprise at that, because normally 60 plus are thinking, well, I don't know if I want to identify with you. So we're making it now. Prime Towers is now 50 plus. So if you're in your 50s, you're, you're in. You're included, man. You're in that special group. So I just want you to... To know that, I mean, we actually had some party crashers. They weren't wedding crashers, but they were party crashers who, who joined us. And we looked at you, you ain't 60, I'll know that. Anyway, it was great to be, to have them with us. And uh, so our next event is coming up in mid-December. We'll be announcing that to you. And um, as, as we do that, we'll, we'll include the 50s in our midst. Uh, I, I, along with a, a small team of people, will be teaching a class on deliverance prayer. Have you ever had recurring negative, hateful, angry, evil thoughts that just keep coming to you? So where does that come from, you know? Have you ever felt like there's someone in your family, a nephew, a niece, an uncle, that you were clearly thought that they were not right and they were not simply not a good person, they were maybe even a bad or evil person? Have you ever noticed something in your family dynamics that goes from generation to generation? Yes, alcoholism is a disease, but it's also a demonic infestation into your family system. Have you ever noticed patterns or habits or things like that around you? Have you ever walked in a room and thought, this is not right, there's something in this room that is evil, and I either need to get out of here or do something about it. So how do you deal with that kind of stuff? Do you even have any category or any way of battling that? Do you know that that is prevalent? Do you recognize that we live in a fall of world where evil reigns? And if you doubt that for a minute, go online for about 30 seconds on the news and you'll discover, in fact, that evil is doing a great job at ripping us up. So how do we counter that? We, in our identity and our authority in Christ, we have the power to counter that and to create a different atmosphere and environment in our house and our work wherever God has planted in us. So the four Tuesday evenings, 7 to 9, right here, we're going to be doing this course, but you need to sign up online because we're closing registration. You everyone hearing me? If you want to sign up, you need to sign up soon because we're closing registration uh, for this course Tuesdays in November. So I want to let you know that that is coming up. This morning, we're, we're continuing our series talking about design, that you're, we're living by design, that God has designed us. And we're talking about being designed, designed for a purpose. And we're looking at a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1, designed for a purpose. You know, for millennia, 
We have been looking up in the skies and watching the birds with envy. We've been watching all sorts of flying creatures and saying, how do they do that, right? And as we looked at how God had designed his creation, had designed flying things, we get ideas for how we can be doing something like that. So scientists have been studying this, and and they've discovered a number of different things about design. For example, do you know that dragonflies can carry 15 times their weight? Most aircraft can only carry as much as the vehicle or the aircraft itself carries in terms of weight. Dragonflies can carry over 15 times their weight. And they say, how do they do this? And they've done studies on them, determined that they create this whirlwind underneath them. And the movement of their wings creates an inflow that lifts them up, but lifts them up in such a way that they're able to carry this incredible weight. It's a way that they're designed. Do you know that owls have a special set of wings on the front the front of their face and around their their wings, there are different sorts of wings that that are different than most birds that allows them to change the direction of the air as they move through the air so that they're able to fly slower than most flying birds and therefore hover more. So at night when they're gonna go for their prey, they're able actually to hover over their prey because of the way that the air goes through their wings and then dive down and get whoever they're going after. It's just the way that God designed them. Have you ever heard of, of an Arctic tern? They're a type of bird that migrates from the North Pole to the South Pole, that they literally go from the Arctic Circle all the way down to the Antarctic in the South, which is 25,000 miles, by, by the way, the back and forth, and they migrate that every year. But they don't fly in a straight line. So they've actually put trackers on these birds, and they've determined that, that some of these birds fly as much as 56,000 miles in one year. Incredible. Not only that, they have this small little navigational system that seems to come standard in all these birds that enables them to leave one pole, fly to the other pole, and find the exact nest that they were in last year. You know, we've tried to imitate that by developing our own navigational system, which usually weighs like about a ton and is a whole lot more expensive. God has designed it, so these birds already have it in their system. Can you imagine being able to find, I, you know, I have trouble finding my home, way home sometimes, and they can, a year later, find their own nest. An incredible tracking system. God's design, which we imitate. Our relationships, God has created us, male and female, in his image, is part of his design. And that is to produce family, which is part of his design as well. It's a relational purpose that God has planted in us. And I want to remind you of a quote I used a couple of weeks ago that illustrates this to us. It's by Bill Johnson at Reading. And he says this, all sin is a violation of design. Those who don't recognize the designer don't have a sense of being designed. Once you've gotten rid of design, you've gotten rid of purpose. Ah, there we go. We're talking about purpose today. Once you've gotten rid of purpose, you've gotten rid of accountability. And once you've gotten rid of accountability, you've gotten rid of the fear of God, which is the basis of wisdom. God has designed us in a certain way for certain purpose. And therein, we actually should find joy. So... This story, which I'm about to read to you, is set at the very, a very dark period in Israel's history, the dark period of Judges, like their middle, uh, medieval ages. A dark period in their history. 
And God is working his purposes and design so that he might birth the impossible and give his people a future and a hope. So 1 Samuel 1, let me just read for you the first few verses to kind of set the stage. There was a certain man from Ramatim in Sufat from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elchanan, the son of Jehoram, the son of Eliehu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was Penaniah, and the other was Hannah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah had none. And year after year, this man went up to his uh, town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord God at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the, the day came for Elchanan to sacrifice, he'd give portions of the meat to Penaniah and her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elchanan would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Let's pray together. Lord, we read the story of someone who desperately wanted a child. And we see that there's purpose and design that feels thwarted, like it will never come about, that it'll never be a reality, Lord. And we think of those things in life that we have desperately wanted and, and cried out for, those things that, that may not be your purpose and design, but yet may be. And I pray, Lord, you would give us insight today as to your purposes and your design for each of us that you would move us by your spirit into alignment with the things that you're doing, which will ultimately bring us joy and purpose. And so, Holy Spirit, speak. And that by your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm, I'm calling this first section, the verses that I read, verses one, one through eight, because he loved her. Because he loved her. So he goes up to sacrifice, it says. And we recognize that what he's doing is he's going to Shiloh where the tabernacle was established by Joshua. We find that in the book of Joshua. This is the center of Israel's worship. And he goes there and we learn something about him right away. First thing we learn about Elchanan as the head of the household is that he's a worshiper. He understands that his central purpose and design is to be a worshiper. That that defines everything else that's going to happen. That as a worshiper, he's fulfilling God's purposes, not only for himself, but his family, because he's modeling it in front of his children. You know, you can tell your children or your family anything you want about God, but unless you're doing it and modeling it, it doesn't make any difference. He's actually modeling. He's actually showing him what it is. He's living out his purpose. And as a result, he's going to activate it in everybody else. And we're going to see that in a moment. So as he's doing that, he, he is giving as part of the sacrificial system that they would have this meat that they would sacrifice. And afterwards, they, they would eat some. And he's giving portions out to Hannah. He gives a, a, a double portion because he loved her, it says. But she can't have children. 
By the way, you'll notice there's polygamy is here. And particularly when the first wife, which is Hannah, cannot have a child, then you could go and get an, another wife because having children was absolutely critical. It was so important. Why is that so important? Well, think, think about this. In their day, day and age, financially speaking, there is no social security. There's no 401k. There's no retirement program. There's nothing. So what is your retirement program? Your children. Because most of these people are farmers or the tradesmen of some kind, which means your children are the one who's going to guarantee your future when you're older. So just remind your children that they are, you, they are your social security, they are your inheritance, they are to take care of you. In case they forgot that, just remind them of that, right? So the thing about it is, is this has gotten so bad now between the two wives that there's a rivalry, there's a competition. And Penanaya is not being really nice about that. In fact, she's being cruel. And as they live in the same household, she has to, Hannah has to live with this every day. Here's the other thing that seems almost as cruel is Elchanan had the right to divorce his wife for not producing children. Now, we know today that actually the problem could be with him, except in this story, he has another wife, Penaniah, that has children. So we know the problem isn't with him. But there are times when you kind of wonder, right? She could actually divorce. He could actually divorce her. She could actually say, you know, you're not producing anything. You're not doing anything for me. Why should continue to feed you and shelter you? Go back to your family. You could have done that. But because he is a worshiper, his design and purpose that God put in him understands something different. And it says he loved her. Not for what she does, but for who she is. That's part of design and purpose as well. That's the central, that's the focus of it. That's the center of it. That's the character and, and, and nature of it. And that is what he's living out of. There's a great verse we know in Romans 8.28. Many of you know this. A little slightly different wording here. You, can you read this with me? Can you help me? Let's read this together. You guys ready? One, two, three. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Okay, so look at that language. He works all those things, right, for the good of those who love him, who love him, and therefore have been called, that there's a purpose, there's something you're supposed to do in, in your life, according to his purpose. Ah, notice that, his purpose, right? God is the one who works things out. If we love him, he calls us into his purpose. It's not what, whatever, do whatever, you're all good, you do you. That's all he says. He says, we do God. We do what God is doing. And therein is fulfillment happening. There, there is meaning happening. See, Elhanan's life is not this carefree, happy thing all the time, right? In fact, there's pain in his life. He's got two wives who are fighting, which makes the household absolutely miserable. He's got one who's a weepy mess because all her purpose and design in life seems like it's thwarted. And you understand that culturally, her understanding is she must have children. In our culture, in our day and age, when many people decide not to have children, we have difficulty getting our head around that. But then and there again, because that was the future, you had to have children. And if you didn't, something was horribly wrong, and he could have put her away again, but he chooses not to. He's faithful to her. He talks to her. He listens to her. He tries to understand her. Why? Because he's a worshiper. He's fulfilling God's design that God placed that, that in him. And what is at stake is that God wants a family 
in which he can have the leader that will rule over Israel for decades raised in. But it needs to be a healthy family. It needs to be a family aligned with his purposes. And what's going to happen out of this family is the birth of Samuel, who will be that guy. So God is lining things up for his purpose. But, you know, I, I, I thought that, that the whole purpose is we're supposed to be on our white steed with our sword going into battle for God. We're going to take the nations for Christ. We're going to do these great things. That's our purpose, isn't it? And you know what? It could be. But look what he puts first. He loved his wife. He loved those that God had given him. That's what he starts with. We talk about these great and wonderful things. Meanwhile, at home, everyone's miserable because of us and our choices. He's saying, first, what comes first in terms of my purposes? This is what comes first. This is what's first. This is how my purposes are accomplished. And the other part of that, and what that then produces, is the next section. Pouring out my soul, verses 9 through 18. Pouring out my soul. Verse 9, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Look at your servant's misery. Remember me. Don't forget me. Give me a son, and I'll give him to you, Lord, for all the days of his life. No razor will ever touch his head, which means it's a, what we call a Nazarite vow. This kid is dedicated to God. Look at the language. Deep anguish. Weeping bitterly. Misery. You have this impression this is not the first time that she's felt this, right? This is not the first time that, that, that she has cried out about her barrenness. But she's tired of grieving. She's tired of going through this all the time, of being tortured by, by this other woman. She's tired of feeling like somehow she's defective, that somehow God's purpose and design for her is frustrated. Maybe she's thinking, did God make a mistake with me? There's something that he created in me that is wrong. Anyone ever felt that about themselves? Like God made a mistake with me? Did everyone ever feel like, that God is punishing you and you're being bad and that's why these things are happening to you? You know, who knows what's going on, on through her head? But as we see this, we recognize that, that in her despair, that, that she's in this culture where the expectation is that she's going to have kids. That is her purpose, and it's not happening. So what do you do? And every time we come against something that seems to thwart our forward motion in life and our design, we have choices about what we're going to do. And look at what her choice is now. Because her husband is a worshiper, and created that environment in the household, it says that she prays. Praying is aligning ourselves with God's purposes. It's not getting what you want. Prayer is finding out what God wants and then asking him to do it. It's not your laundry list. And so she cries out to God, you see, her misery is not God's purpose for her. Gaining her heart is. God is not cruel. He's not capricious. He didn't push her through something so that he can punish her, so he can get something from her. But he is going to redeem the situation. And so Hannah reaches the end of herself. She's done. She says, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him back to you. Because otherwise, you know, she's going to keep that boy and hang on to him just as long as she possibly can. But you know something is shifting in her. Something is changing with her because she says, if you give him to me, I'll give him back to you. 
You see, oftentimes we're, we're pouring out our, our soul to God about things we want, saying we're disappointed in him and why doesn't he do what we want, us, we want him to do, like he works for us or, you know, whatever it may be. And there's nothing of redemptive person, purpose there. There's nothing of God's design or heart in that. That is all about us. She's come to the point where things have shifted now and she's done. Wait, wait, she's going to give up her son? I mean, God, God is cruel, man. He's going to ask her to give up his son? Well, he didn't actually ask her. She volunteered. But look what happens in verse 21 of the next chapter. She has three sons and two more daughters after he's born. God blesses her with more children after this. So sometimes something has to die for life to begin. Remember that old verse, uh, John 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You know, you know the whole story. You take a seed and you can hold it in your hand as long as you want. It won't grow. You can take a seed and put it in any kind of container for as long as you want and nothing's going to happen, right? But what we need to do is we need to take the seed and position it to die. And God wants to take the seed, that means you, and position you so that you die. We take the seed and we put it in the soil and we cover it over and we smother it and then we put water on it and lo and behold, it grows. God wants to position us so that we die. And Hannah is dying to the things that she so desperately wanted and wanted to hold on to her entire life because God is moving her in line with her purposes, with his purposes and, and his heart. A seed that, that is alone, unplanted, and unyield won't produce anything. You see, the, the frustration, sometimes we get frustrated with, with God and, and our, our purposes in life, and we tell him that, and he says, yeah, you know why? Because you've been out busy carving your own throne. But if you work with my design and purpose, there's joy, there's fulfillment, there's a deepening of the work that, that I'll do in your life. And you'll see the challenges in your life are actually stepping stones to my greater purpose with you. It's only when you reach the end of yourself that God can begin. And sometimes we, we hold on to things that we think belongs to us and we grip it so tightly and we're determined to make this thing happen. And what we produce is something that's stillbirthed. And sometimes we need to open up our hands and let the thing die so God can come and bring what he wants. And so she keeps on praying. And as she's praying, she's mouthing these words, but nothing is coming out. You can't hear her because she's silently praying. And apparently she was swaying or, do, or doing something in, in, in this session because what happens is Eli, who's the high priest, says to her, hey, why are you drinking? It's only in the morning. You're already drunk? What's the matter with you? And of course, now we would look at her and say, she's drunk in the spirit is what she is. But he doesn't recognize it. I mean, what, how else would you explain that, right? She's drunk in the spirit. She is surrendering to God, getting in line with his will and purposes. And as she does that, he begins to give the spirit in greater measure. And she's feeling it. And she knows that God, God is there. And I think there's evidence for that later in the chapter here. So as that happening, she is the only person in the book for the first chapters that intercedes. She's the only person that is a regular intercessor throughout this book. It's mentioned four times. You know who the next person is that is an intercessor in this chapter? Samuel. 
Samuel's the next one who's an intercessor. So what she practiced out of the pain and suffering and difficulties that she was going through, and she pressed in and prayed and therefore got in alignment with God, what was the legacy and the fruit of that then passed on to the next generation? Is that how Samuel learned it as he was growing up? He watched his mother praying and his father worshiping, and he's in an environment that models something to it. But this is deep heartfelt prayer. And as he surrenders her will to God, God then fills her and blesses her and moves her into his purposes. Proverbs 19 verse 21 says this, many are the plans in a person's heart, but is the Lord's purposes that prevails. How many schemes or agendas do you, do you scheme up or dream up every day? about what you're going to do with a person, with a situation, where you're going to try and get something out of somebody. I mean, we're constantly scheming about something, right? We're all constantly trying to make something happen. And she did that. She did that for years, wanting that child. And it's only surrender, when she surrendered that God bring it about. A young man was, was deeply uh, in, in love with his girlfriend and got badly wounded when she broke up with him over another guy. The relationship had, had, had worked this way. He was so deeply in love with her that he had anticipated spending the rest of his life with her. So you know what he did? He moved to where she was. He took a job near where she was and where she lived. He went and, took, uh, and went to church where she was going to church. He began to do things that she wanted. And, and then as she got him to do what she wanted, but she found another guy over here and broke up with him, he's absolutely devastated. And so the older guy who was sitting with him and praying about this said, so in, in all of this, did you ever kind of ask God what he wanted and what his heart was this? He says, you know, I'm ashamed to say not once. The older guy eventually moved away out, out of town, but a couple years later, he came back to, to visit. He got, met up with his younger friends. Hey, how's it going? He introduced him to his wife. He says, we got married. We have a six-month your old son, and uh, we feel blessed. He says, you know what the thing was, what you said to me? He says, what we did is I found a woman who would pray with me and said, we're going to seek God's heart together. What is your design? What is your plan? What, what is your purpose? And he says, it's been incredibly dif different. It's been absolutely liberating. Ephesians 1.11 says this. I think we need to read this together. You guys ready again? You did great in the first one. Let's go. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Whoa. You were chosen in him, being predestined. Predestined means that is where you get purpose and design. He's done it all. He set it up in you. It's already in you. You need to discover it. The plan that he has, which he will work out, which moves us into conformity. That means to be molded into his will. He wants to mold you into what he's doing. That is the place we find fulfillment. Let me just do a little sidebar here. If there's any ladies in this room who either you couldn't have children, you decided not to have children, it's too late. You've lost children, whatever it may be. Hear God's grace to you. I believe that God does with ladies who've gone through that what he did with Mary and Martha outside of Lazarus' tomb, and he weeps with you. 
that there's nothing defective with you. There's nothing wrong with you. Yes, there may have been some bad choices along the way, but that's why there's forgiveness and grace. And I want the ladies in the room as are listening to this to know that and, and to hear that, that there's God's grace to you. And so here's a woman who struggled with the same thing. And, and she says to Eli, no, no, not so, Lord. Verse 15, I've been praying out of great anguish. And Eli, the high priest, right? He is the dude. He's the man in charge. He says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked for. So what happened? What, what just happened here? God is working out his purposes. How so? You know that Eli just blessed his replacement? Eli just blessed his successor. He just blessed Samuel, who hasn't born yet, but is going to be born. He's going to replace him. Do you know that? That's what he just did. He just worked himself out of a job. He just blessed himself out of a job. That's what he just did. He has no idea, of course, what, what God is doing, but he felt he should bless that. Why? Why is that the case? Because Eli, Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They ran the cartel around the tabernacle. They, they did the cut of the money, the cut of the sacrifice. They're fooling around with the women on the side. They were running and doing their own thing. And God said to Eli, get your sons in order. I'm warning you once, get your sons in order. And then in the next chapter, chapter two, he sends a prophet to him and says, you better get your, your house in order and get these sons right. And what does Eli do? Nothing, nada. He doesn't change anything. And God says, okay, I'm done with you. I'm done with this regime. You guys are defiling my place of worship. You're setting a bad model for, for the entire nation. And so I'm pulling the plug on this one. I'm pulling the plug. Psalms 33 Verse 11 says this, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. In other words, if you're not going to raise up Hophni and Phinehas, your sons, to rule righteously and to serve me and worship properly and model that to people, you're not going to pass it on to the next generation. We're pulling the plug on this. My purposes will prevail. And so she says in verse 18, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away, ate something, and she's no longer downcast. So what happened with her? Just like that, something shifted in her, something lifted in her, right? The misery, the anguish, the grief are gone. She, she, as she gets herself into alignment with God's purposes and work in her life, something shifts in her. The heaviness, the depression, the despair that she was probably feeling, I think, is lifted at this point, and she's recognized that she's entering into a new season. There's something else that, that has changed in her perspective and her life. You see, you are most content when your purpose has found you. Is when we are living our life with a design that is ignored or broken and a purpose that is thwarted, that there is no contentment. Is when we're trying to do our own thing. God, I got this. No, you don't. You think you do. God, I got this means equals there will be pain. That's what that equals. And Hannah knows that, and she knows it well. And the third section is I give to the Lord, which comes out of verse 28. I give to the Lord. So they go home, and lo and behold, she becomes pregnant. Glory, hallelujah. And she gives birth to a son. She names him Shmuel, Samuel. Shmuel means heard of God, God heard. Because I asked the Lord for him. So she weans the child. She stays at home, etc. So she's been crying out to the Lord for years. She's been pleading. She's been begging. Her life has been consumed by, by this. This is what she has always wanted. She's been absolutely miserable. But now she's no longer downcast. 
She stepped into her purpose. But ah, now her purpose is, he's here. I'm never going to let him out of my sight for the next 18 years. He's probably going to be breastfed till he's seven or eight. You know, one of those mothers that is constantly hovering. He's going to be that kind of mom. But what happens? I give him to the Lord. Say what? I give him to the Lord. Boy, something shifted. Something big time has shifted. And her husband says, okay, you're going to stay at home. Mm, not sure if that's a good idea. Verse 23, he says, do what seems best to you, her husband Elchanan said. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. What, what is he saying? Let the Lord establish his word. In other words, do everything in obedience to God so we may see his word established amongst us. Because you see, sometimes it's not about what we do, but it's about why we do it. So why are you doing this? Examine your motives. Think about what you're doing. Stay in alignment with God. What's being formed here? What's being formed here is Samuel, who is the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. He is the hinge person between two, two eras in Israel's history the last of the judges, and the first of the prophets. He is the kingmaker. He anoints the first two kings of Israel. He anoints Saul, and then he anoints David. He is the one who led Israel for decades. He is the one that when Saul was in trouble, he fled to him. When David was in trouble, he fled to Samuel. He was the anchor. He was the cornerstone. He was the thing that drove Israel for, for decades. He is the one. And here's the thing. I like the, the way that Ralph Buchanan put it. When you walk in purpose, you collide with destiny. Why haven't you experienced that? Some of you would be saying, because you haven't walked in your purpose enough. It starts with worship. It starts with prayer. It starts with being rightly aligned to God. And as we work that, and that design and purpose becomes aligned with him, then destiny shows up. And you begin to step into what he, he wants for you. See, God's design doesn't age. God's design has no shelf life. God's design has no expiration date. It counts for eternity, which is why I want to be involved in things that count for eternity, handed on gener generation to generation. And while sometimes his purposes is adjusted, it is only adjusted because of our sin and our disobedience. If we won't move with it, he'll find somebody who will. And so when the boy is weaned, she takes him to Eli, the, the chief priest, and doesn't say to him, oh, by the way, he's going to take your job. But she comes and brings him and says, I, this is the one I prayed for. I don't know if you remember me. I give him now to the Lord. So, and it says, and he worshiped the Lord there. But where did Samuel first learn to worship the Lord? From his dad, Elchanan. Remember, Elchanan creates a spiritual culture a spiritual atmosphere of worship. He fosters that. He models that. His children watch that. And then his mom, as she gets aligned with God's heart and surrenders to God, she becomes the intercessor. She models that to him. So he's raised in this home that he has a father as a worshiper and a mother as an intercessor. Wow. What a dynamic. What a powerhouse for him to inherit. That great verse out of Ephesians 2.10 kind of captures a lot of this. We're going to read this, the last one together. You guys ready? One more? Ready? Let's go. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, that word created in Scripture only refers to God creating something. It's never for humans. 
This is only a God thing. Only God creates in this verse, in this sense right here. It's only used of him. It's only his energy. You see, not only does he lead the orchestra, but he's the composer of what we're singing. And so what happens is as we learn heaven's songs, we become aligned with the one who is the orchestra leader, but also the composer of what is in our heart. And she has finally learned what that, that is. No, notice that, that that phrase, prepared in advance. What is that? Purpose and design. What I purposed and designed for you, I did it before I laid the foundations of the earth and set the stars in the sky. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that. And he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. You're not waiting for God. He's waiting for you to step into that. When my, my daughters were, were small, they... Um, they're like, I don't know, eight or ten or something like that. They, they started watching the show Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> I sighed a lot sitting and watching. I watched a little bit of it first. I wanted to make sure it was okay for them, age appropriate and all that kind of stuff. So my daughter, my, my youngest daughter, exposed my grandchildren to the show, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I thought, oh, God, another generation of these. So I asked, we asked, we always ask him, what, it's his birthday this week. So he celebrated his birth this week. He's turned six, right? The grandson. I asked, so what does he want? She says, he wants these Mighty Morphin Power Rangers figurines. These, you know, the act, active uh, figurines that they make. They're about this, about, about this high. And there's like five or six of them. So I said, oh, I groaned inside. I said, okay, that's what he wants. So I, we bought him for him, and, and he opens a package. Ever watch a six-year-old open a present? There's no careful unwrapping. I mean, it's ripping and shredding and tearing that thing apart. Ever watch kids open packages? It's always like that, right? He opens it. He sees what, what it is, and he goes crazy. He starts breaking and crumping and locking, and he's popping all over the floor. He can really move, by the way. I mean, he's got swag, right? For about 20 minutes, he's dancing all over the house, carrying this thing like he won it as a grand prize at the Olympics or something. I don't know. He went crazy over this thing. But what was, what was joyful is we gave it to him. And as giving it to him, there's joy in watching how he received it. And Jesus, who gives you far above anything abundantly that you could ever imagine, wants to see you breaking and crumping and locking and popping all over the floor. He wants to see you move into his purposes for you. He wants to see you full of joy, recognizing, I created you wonderfully. I did it years ago. It is my delight to see you step into all the ways that I created you. Why? Because you're designed for purpose. How does it begin? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he loved her. How does it continue? She pours out her soul. All the deepest things of her anguish, her crying out, her tears. She can pour it out because she's with a God now that she's learned to trust, that he's a good God. He wants to give her and bless her, but she needs to get in line with his purposes. And then she pours out her soul. And once she has gotten into that and is aligned with God and recognizes her design, she's able to say, and I give to the Lord. I give to the Lord. 
Why? Because we worship someone who says to us, for God so loved the world that he gave. And he gives, and he gives, and he gives. God is not a taker. He is a giver. And he wants us to step into that design. Let's pray together. Worship team, if you'd make your way up. Lord, we recognize that so many of us, because of disappointments and disillusionments, we live with a distorted image of you as being some sort of remote, unavailable, cruel taskmaster that is just thwarting us at every turn, not recognizing that the things that we have been crying out for and wanting will ultimately eat us up. And Lord, I pray that we would learn to trust you enough today and beyond that we would agree with your design and purposes for us. And we discover that as we worship and as we pray. So Holy Spirit, come on these people and bless them, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?